The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. Ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you are in kindergarten through fifth grade and would like to go to children's church, please join our volunteers by the Kids Zone sign. If it is your child's first time in children's church, please go with them so that we can get them checked in. Steve. Well, good morning. We are glad you're here on Easter. My name is Ben, and I'm on staff here at Restoration. And today, every Sunday is special, and today is a day of all days. And so we're excited that you're here uh, celebrating Easter with us. Um, it is the greatest day, and it is the greatest news. And next week, uh, there's a bit of a hangover. Right? Easter happened, and then life goes on. And so uh, to riddle that and to reckon with that, um, we're going to have a sermon series just on Romans 8. And so just to give you a little bit of a horizon of what's coming, we're going to see the reality of what this means. Jesus has risen. What does it mean for you? Who you are? How to make sense of yourself? So um, that's, that's what we'll be going towards. But this morning we're looking at John 20 and the empty tomb of Jesus and, and kind of the story around John's account of it. Uh, but my wife and I, we have two kids. Our youngest uh, is Fox, uh, he's a little boy, he's 17 months old. And he, uh, his name is Samuel Foxhaven Hooper. 
And so Fox is his name, and we call him many things. We call him Foxhaven. We call him Fox. We call him um, the Big Cat. It's a nickname. We call him the Innocent Explorer because he loves to rummage. We call him Toilet Man because he loves to put things in the toilet. Uh, one title, though, that he's just recently earned and mastered the art of, he's now known as the Electric Man. Because this 17-month-old kid loves to crawl or walk to the wall, go to the sockets, grab the cord, unplug it, look at his parents, look at the socket, plug it back in. It's pretty sophisticated for a 17-month-old kid, and it's, and it's pretty pathetic as a, a parent also. But for him, in this alter ego of electric man, of the electrician, he has no idea the power that's right before him at his fingertips. He has not a clue. And he'll discover it more and more in his life. And that's the very same thing at the tomb. Because at the tomb, we see that uh, the disciples and Mary, they have no idea the power that's right there before him, them at their fingertips. They'll talk to Jesus. They'll touch Jesus. They'll engage with Jesus. And it, their whole life will be discovering the power that's right there before them. And so as we look at John 20, what's important for us is, yeah, this is a story. Yes, this happened. Yes, it changes everything. But the very same power that they're going to receive and they're going to get is the same power that the Holy Spirit gives his people now because Christ is still out of the tomb. He is still risen and he has ascended. And he loves when his people get what he's purchased for them. And so this morning, when we look at John 20, we'll see three things. We'll see uh, the reaction, the verdict, and the gift. The reaction, the verdict, and the gift as we look at John 20. But with that in mind, let's pray as we study God's word together. Let's pray. Lord, we see the story of a conglomerate and a mosaic of people running to your tomb and looking in and seeing if it's empty and then responding. That's what happened in John 20. And this morning we see a group of people this very day in a room on the south side of Chattanooga uh, wondering the same question, is the tomb empty? And what, what, what does it mean? What does it mean for me? By the power of your Holy Spirit, Jesus, the same power that raised you from the dead, would you meet us, your people, just as you promised, because this is nothing without you? And would you have our hearts become alive for the first time or in a new way to the fact that you have left the grave clothes behind and walked out? May we this very day walk out with you. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So first we see the reaction. The reaction. Seven days ago in relation to Easter is Palm Sunday and Jesus rode in on a donkey. We, we talked about it last week. And they dubbed him king, king of Israel, the long-awaited one, uh, to overthrow the Romans and be their leader. Days later on a Friday, he will be mocked and called king on a cross. He'll be in a tomb, have died, and then on a Sunday he raises. This is what Easter is about. 
In the scene of him rising, we see the tomb is there. We see the stone has been rolled away that had covered up this tomb he laid in. And Mary goes early, early in the morning to see that very scene. Mary goes to honor and mourn and grieve the life of Jesus, the life that had been taken. And what she sees is the potential of this crime scene even. And what she does immediately is she runs and she finds Peter and she finds, it says, the disciple that John loved, which is most likely, or sorry, the disciple that Jesus loved, which is most likely John. And she runs to Peter and most likely John, and she goes and tells him what happened, and they then bolt toward the tomb. And what it says is that John's running and Peter's running, and, and John gets there first. And he peeks in. He doesn't go and he peeks in. And then Peter gets there, and, and Peter runs right in. Right, Peter of Peter. He runs right in, and then John comes in after him. So what are Peter and what are John's first reaction to the empty tomb? What does it say their first reaction is? It says, they saw. Peter and John, it says they saw the tomb. They saw what was in the tomb. They saw the grave clothes. They saw all these different things. They saw. And it's important because this, this word saw looking at, seeing, isn't like me looking at you right now with a faculty and sense of sight. It's a different word. The Greek word here is blepo, which which Tim Keller points out that it's not about seeing with your eyes, it's about making sense of what you see. It's about comprehending, seeing a story, how all the pieces fit together, how you discern and how you understand. They're trying to reckon with what they're seeing and make sense of it. It's the very same word used at the beginning of the Gospel of John. Because in John 1, verse 29, it says this. It says, uh, then the next day, John, John the Baptist, this was, Saul, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. This was not the first time he saw Jesus and then thought to himself, that's the Messiah, that's the Savior, that's the Christ. He's seen him for 30 years. And Jesus wasn't wearing a name tag that said the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What what is pointing out here is that John the Baptist looks at Jesus and says, I see you finally. I'm able to understand. I'm not looking at you. I'm seeing you for who you are to make sense and discern and to have actual truth pop out to me in comprehension. You are the Lamb of God. In John 1 and John 20, we see the first reaction. Blepo, discernment, seeing how feasible this is, seeing how all the pieces fit together. That's what Peter and John do. It's their first reaction. What about Mary? Those guys run off, thanks y'all, for the comforting comforting presence for Mary, and Mary's alone. She's alone and she's weeping. She's crying. She, she's come to honor Jesus, and actually it's insult to injury. There's salt in the wound because the person she's honored isn't there. And the guys she has just run to get have left her at the tomb, the same place she's trying to, her own Saul, her own blepo, her own sense of trying to grapple with it. And she's in tears. Her first reaction is that she weeps. And it shows a love of Jesus, his life, and a care for Jesus even in his death. Seeing, understanding, comprehending, and tears and emotions. Those are the first two reactions that we see. 
And these first two reactions are not weaknesses, nor are they distractions. Because actually, though these are the first reactions to the empty tomb chronicled and told about in the story of Scripture, these reactions actually are key integral elements to the life of following Jesus. Because we, we, we need, in, in, in a true calibrated Christian life, we need understanding. We need blepo. We need to see things and make sense of things and have a reason, have rationality behind what we believe and why we believe it. God never says, stop thinking, just believe. He's not afraid of your discernment. And also, he doesn't say, stop crying, suck it up. He's not afraid of your tears and your emotions. But actually, the Jesus in this passage, as we're about to see, enters into those things and does much with them. While they're the first reactions to the tomb, they are very important elements for you and I to have the faculties of, of thinking, of feeling, and also doing. Those are the reactions to the tomb, those things. But the story goes on. Because while that's how they react, how does Jesus react? That's the second idea, the verdict. The verdict. Now, in shows and movies, when there is a dramatic return of some kind of character, maybe a renaissance or a, a taking back, there's always something they exact. Meaning, when they come back in their dramatic return, they're going to set something right. So in the negative sense, we see it happen. In, in The Dark Knight, the Batman movies, we see... Um, we see Bane, and we see the Joker, and um, we see Harvey Dent. We see all these people come back and exact, in a negative way, um, chaos and, and even vengeance. In, in The Office, we see Roy bolt after Jim Halpert, exact revenge on someone who's trying to steal his fiance. Right? But we also see it in a positive way. We see it in, in ways that there's a return and there's an instilling of good where there's an instilling of good. Lion King, Simba's coming back to take back Pride Rock and reinstill what his father uh, did from Scar. Princess Diaries, not that I've watched this movie before, but, but Mia Thermopolis became this pretty student, this princess. And what does she do with that? She doesn't go and try to be like a pretty girl. She, she goes, instead of climbing the ranks, to love those who are little and low. And low. Even, even right now, uh, what you're probably having on your phone this very moment, Tiger Woods in the Masters, right? He had to, not this year, but he had to prove that he still has it. And he did a few years ago. He won it again, right? There's, when there's a dramatic return, there's always this sense of, I'm going to exact, I'm going to reestablish myself, show you now that I'm here in all my glory, I'm going to be in control. And this is Jesus's chance. He has risen from the grave, and he's going back to the people that he's been patient with for three years, that he's loved for three years, that he's healed over three years. He's going to go to them, and this is his chance to exact revenge. He goes to the people who have been faithless and feeble and ran and abandoned him. So the question is, what is Jesus out to exact? What is he out to demand? And the way we answer that question is very important because we will answer it somehow, no matter explicitly or implicitly, overtly, covertly. We'll answer the question of what does Jesus, now that he's risen from the grave, what does he want of you? What does he want of them? He could say, now that I've risen, 
it's time for you to perform. This is the Saving Private Ryan thought, right? Uh, Tom Hanks leads a crew in Saving Private Ryan, the, the late, late, late 90s movie. And it's this uh, idea around the soul-surviving uh, soul son policy. This woman's uh, boys all have died except one in World War II, and they have to go save the one so this poor woman doesn't have to know all of her children died in war. And so they save Private Ryan, hint the name of the movie. And, and at the very end of the movie, Tom Hanks, he dies. Sorry, spoiler. But he, in his dying words, he says, he says, earn this. Earn this. There have been men that have died and fought for you as one person to save you. And therefore, because of that, have a life that earns the loss that they laid down for you. Earn this. And Jesus doesn't come back and say, perform. Earn this. Now that I have risen from the grave, it's time for you to buck up and prove yourself worthy. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say perform. And he also doesn't say pay. Now that I've risen from the grave, you're a debtor to me. Time for you to pay up. This is the, the vacation thought. The movie Vacation. Where Chevy Chase is, is going to Wally World and he's going to put a, a, a vacation for his family. Hint the name of the movie. I'm a cinematic genius. Um, he's going on a vacation with his, friend, with his family to Wally World. And on the way there, he takes a little wrong turn because of his stubborn arrogance. And he's in the desert and he hits this ditch in the desert. His car is a wreck. It's towed to the closest um, uh, place to fix your car, mechanic. And um, they say, all right, your car's done. And he said, okay, how much do I owe you for, for the repair? And they say, how much you got? He says, no, I asked you, how much is the repairs cost? And he says, and I asked you how much you got. And he gets his wallet out, and he hands all the money in his wallet over to these shady characters. And that's not what Jesus does. He's not saying, hey, you are a debtor to me. I have paid for you, and now it's time for you to pay up. That's not what Jesus has come to exact. And, but, but maybe one more last small one is he's not, he's not here to pity you either. That he's not looking at you and thinking, you know what, I made this investment on the cross to, to, buy, to die for you, and it's a pretty bad investment. Because I'm looking at you now, and you're not living up to the thing that, that I thought you'd be. And I, I wish I hadn't done it, but I did it. And um, I don't look at you with joy, but I, there's a bit of a grimace. You're pretty inferior to what I thought you'd be. For these reasons and more, if we're honest, we think to ourselves that the, our Jesus, the Jesus, even the Jesus in this story, could be one that's marked by de, uh, demands or demeaning or disappointment far more than he is a God who delights in you. And what we see in this, uh, this story of John 20 is that we see that each party that Jesus encounters he speaks a verdict over in his graciousness and his patience. And here's what I mean. Uh, for Mary, she's weeping at the tomb, and, he, and he's, um, to her eyes, looks like this gardener. And she's finally so fed up, she just says, please tell me, gardener, where have you put Jesus? Where have you taken his body? Just tell me where so I can go honor him. And he doesn't say, hey, it's me, Mary, hey oh." He says, Mary. He looks at her and doesn't say, stop crying, I'm right here. 
He says, Mary. He engages her exactly who she is, where she is, with great grace. And to later on, the disciples, it says they're afraid and they're behind locked doors and they're sitting there afraid that what happened to Jesus by the religious leaders is going to happen to them. The tail is between their legs and Jesus goes and you think he's going to go exact revenge and set them straight. What does he do? It says in verse 19 and 20, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The words that come right after the wounds that have bought you are a verdict about you. The wounds that come after the wounds that have bought you are a verdict about you. Because what we see here in Jesus is that he's not come to say, I'm, I've purchased a vengeance to make sure you know how much it cost me. Everything he says after the resurrection is, I want you to know that this thing that I've done for you has purchased you. And therefore, I'm going to let you know exactly who you are. You're mine. Mary, I'm right here. Disciples, peace be with you. The first words are a verdict, and that's why Jesus came back. That's why he rose, because you are his beloved. A pastor named Peter Hyatt said this. He said, So I'm convinced your deepest problem is not the cigarettes you smoke or the alcohol you drink in secret. It's not the slander you speak and the gossip you cherish. It's not the pornography you pleasure yourself with when no one's looking. It's not the baby you aborted. It's not that you betrayed your brother, cheated on your bride, lied about the whole thing, and retaliated with murder. It's not even that you slaughtered the lamb and killed the Messiah. Your deepest problem is that somewhere deep inside you, you believe Jesus the Messiah rose from the dead just to kick your rear end. When in fact, he rose from the dead so you would believe all is forgiven. It is finished. Justice accomplished and the Father is pleading, come home, come home, come home. In your heart of hearts, what do you think Jesus thinks about you? Because the tomb is empty. And he has authority to say whatever he wants about you. What is the voice of you here of Jesus? Because friends, the voice of Jesus to Mary and the disciples should be a calibrating one for us today. That he's a God who says, not pretend, not perform, uh, not pay up. I don't pity you. He's saying, you are my beloved. Come home, come home, come home. That's the verdict spoken over you. Nothing else in a courtroom can say anything against that. Come home. We see their reactions we see the verdict he speaks over it, but also we see the story still goes on and gets better because we see a gift. We see the gift. This Friday, for the first time in, in two decades, I entered the hallowed grounds of Chuck E. Cheese. 
home of hot pizza, the $3 prizes of real money that cost you $38 inside those doors, and, and also a band of, of robotic animals that I believe come alive at night and, and wander the halls of Chuck E. Cheese. What got me there, what brought me and our family there was our niece's uh, fifth grade birthday party. That's what brought us there. But what kept me there was the game NFL two-minute drill, a game where the balls come down and these footballs and you, you throw them into the holes and you get all these points and you try to get enough points to be the rookie level and then enough points to level up in two minutes to go to starter and then level up with enough points to go to the, the Pro Bowl and level up to reach the top pinnacle peak of the game the Hall of Fame. And so my brother-in-law, Brett, and I played this game once. We had a bunch of tokens to, to, to burn, and so we played it, and we, uh, we made it to, uh, to Rookie. Swiped our card again. Played it a second time. Leveled up. Swiped the card again and began to, to get more into it. Have a strategy. He's on my left. I'm on his right, and we're just chucking these balls. And, and it got to the point where and about the 17th time we played it, that we're throwing the balls so hard that they're ricocheting off the game back into the crowd, hitting children. <laughs> My wife comes to me and says, I, I think it's time we need to leave. <laughs> I gave everything I had to beat the NFL two-minute drill. And I'm proud of it. For all of us, we want to know something that we're able to give ourselves to completely. That gives us meaning and purpose and also joy and fullness. And friends, that's exactly what we see in the resurrection. Yes, Jesus saved you. Yes, he rose from the dead. Yes, he entered and left the tomb for you. But there's more to the story. He gives you this meaningful belonging even after his first words to his people. We haven't said it yet, but Mary is someone he interacts with. Who is Mary? Mary is a healed, demon-possessed woman that Jesus has encountered and delivered. Who is the first person in the cosmos to go and tell the good news that Jesus, the Son of God, has exited and been risen and is raised to life now? a healed, demon-possessed woman. What do we see of the, of the disciples, the nobodies that attempted to ride Jesus' coattails only to abandon him in his darkest hours? What about them? What did Jesus do to them? It says in verse 21 and on, it says, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Even after they flaked out fearfully from him, he sent them out. The distance between him encountering them after the tomb and then him sending them out is oh so short, seconds even. Jesus can do much with the people that are nobodies. 
from the, someone who goes from weeping to then rejoicing as she runs and tells of the good news. The guys who say, I'm so afraid of my own hide, I'm going to hide. And Jesus say, go. Take my spirit and go with you. Just so I was sent with you in mind, I'm sending you with me in mind and with you in mind. A life of purpose and of meaning, all because he's given us his spirit. And that, that reality of giving us his spirit tells us that we're united to him. As one a pastor said, uh, union with Christ means we're a part of a larger family, a broader mission, a longer story, a bigger world, and a deeper love. It means everything. That the gift of the resurrection is this. The gift of Easter is this. Everything you need now for life and for joy and for peace is yours. Not on that great day, but now, right this moment. The tomb is empty. It's just that. It is empty. Nothing else had to be hammered to the cross. Nothing else was there. He said, it's finished. Nowhere will you know more life, more love, more peace, more security, more joy, more hope than the very empty tomb that we look at, we make sense of, and we say, my Jesus walked out, and therefore I'm going to follow him out too. Christ is risen because you are his beloved. And because you are his beloved, he has given you everything you need in his Holy Spirit to take you home because he's calling you, come home, come home, come home. Let's pray. Lord, we hear about a Jesus in this story and and this very Jesus that we hear about, oftentimes it doesn't feel like it lines up with the one that we pray to, with the one that we even come in to encounter today or worship today. Would you take the paradigms we have of a Jesus that is not of you and break them and in its place inject the empty tomb that says, You are mine, and I'm yours, and this very day you lack nothing. King Jesus, this very day, by the power of your Spirit, would you do just that? Would you comfort the disturbed, and would you disturb the comfortable, all as we see you high and lifted up? We pray in your name. Amen. King Jesus, this very day, by the power of your Spirit, would you do just that? Would you comfort the disturbed and would you disturb the comfortable all as we see you high and lifted up? We pray in your name. Amen.